enjoying the book of Job. For some reason, I've been waking up with a lot of aches and pains. And uh, yesterday, my wrist was, I'm like, oh, Lord. I said, Lord, you trying to give me a Job experience? <laughs> like, don't do it. <laughs> I believe, Lord. <laughs> like, I do not need to be tested. All right, Job. Is everyone there? I'm going to, bless you, jump around a little bit um, today. We went over chapter 3 last time. And uh, today I want to look at Job's wife and his three friends. And I want to use the title, How Not to Comfort Someone Who's Hurting. How Not to Comfort Someone Who is Hurting. I'm going to look at uh, these uh, texts real quick just to see uh, that Job's friends, um, and we can say also say his wife, and we're acting sort of like his uh, therapist, his counselors. Right. Um, but Job calls them worthless physicians and miserable comforters. <laughs> right. Uh, so how not to comfort someone who is hurting? Look real quick at Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Verse 11, it reads, Now when Job's three friends heard all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Right, so this is their goal. They came together to mourn with Job and to comfort Job. I want you to turn to chapter 13, Job chapter 13. This is Job's assessment of his friends. Verse 1, Job 13, 1. He says, Behold, my eyes has seen, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with him. But you, forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Just shut up, and you all would at least appear to be wise. Okay. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Miserable comforters are you all. How not to comfort someone who is hurting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to be able to to read through the the story of Job and to gain insight um, on uh, the circumstance of suffering in his life. And then uh, we could see how we can apply it in our own lives. Lord, uh, we all have experienced suffering and we have all had that someone who just did not know what to say. And sadly, we have all been that person who did not know what to say. And we have amplified the pain of someone who is going through something um, because we have been, as Job has called his friends, worthless physicians. I pray, Lord, as you we look at the life of Job and his three friends today, we pr- I pray that you would teach us um, how not to hurt someone even further when they're suffering, but teach us how to be comforters, how to comfort them with the comfort that comes only from you. 
we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to first begin by recognizing that Job's wife and his three friends were all being used by Satan. Okay. This is the first thing we need to, to recognize. Remember, in chapter 1, Satan says to God that if he was to, Job was to suffer, he would what? Curse God to his face. Okay. Now we see Satan return in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Satan repeats the same thing to God, that if he was to do these things to Job, Job would curse God to his face. Now, what's interesting about the book of Job is that after chapter 2, Satan is not mentioned again. He does not show up in the story again after chapter 2, and yet we can feel his presence. I want you to look at Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Is everyone there? Satan is not present, but that does not mean he is not influencing those people who are in Job's circle. Now, remember, um, Satan says that Job will curse God to his face. Listen to what Job's wife says, (laughs) verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? What? Curse God and die. So, even though Satan is not present, he's not mentioned in the story, his words are found in the mouth of Job's wife. You see that? I want you to turn to Chapter 4, Job chapter 4. Is everyone there? Job chapter 4. I want you to see that Satan is also motivating Job's three friends, even though he is not specifically mentioned. I believe that that is what is going on in Job chapter 4. Job, uh, his friend Eliphaz is speaking. But listen to what he says in verse 12. He has already said that they had already discussed, right? We saw this in the passage we just read. They discussed, they came together to to, to comfort Job and to mourn with him. But listen to what Eliphaz says happened to him. He says, verse 12, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, When deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth, they are broken in pieces from morning till evening, they perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Now, I think that um, reading this and, and, the, and the rest of uh, what Eliphaz and his three friends say, um, are, are saying, right? I believe that the Satan, right, is, is this spirit that came to him. Now, they believe that it was a spirit from the Lord <laughs> that came to let them know Job has sinned, and this is their way of going to prove to Job, see, a spirit from God came and told me that you sinned. I believe that this spirit um, is either Satan or came from Satan, Um but they are motivated from what they receive from this spirit, and they are told, basically, Job is sinful, right? He's not pure, and they take this as their cue 
to tell him he is sinning, and therefore this is why uh, he is going through these things. Right. So I want us to see first that that Job's wife and Job's three friends are all being motivated by God in order to get Job to curse God. Because that is exactly what Satan told God he could get Job to do. Everyone see that? All right. So moving on. Number one. The first mistake that Job's friends made, the first thing that we should not do when someone is hurting is that we should not decrease their hope. Look at Job chapter 2, verse 9. Job chapter 2, verse 9. We should not decrease their hope. Job's wife again. This Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? What was Job's wife trying to do? I think that Job's wife is trying to convince Job that his situation is hopeless. There's no hope, Job. You're not getting better. You're sick. You're going to keep suffering. So why don't you just go ahead and curse God so he can kill you? Why continue suffering? Why continue in pain? Let's just speed this process along. If you simply curse God, he will kill you and you will be at peace. The first thing that, that Job's wife being motivated by Satan does is try to take away Job's hope. Job continued to trust in God. When the first calamity happened, what did Job do? He worshiped. When the second calamity came upon Job and he himself got sick, what did Job say? He said, should we not accept good that comes from God and also adversity? Job, because he saw God properly, was able to maintain his hope in God. And that's the first thing that his wife attacks. Job, this is hopeless. You're going to die anyway. Why are you trying to hold on to your integrity? Let it all go. It's hopeless. Just curse God, die, let me get the insurance money. <laughs> okay. That's mistake number one. Do not take away someone's hope when they are suffering. Number two. The second mistake do not argue with someone just to prove that they are a hypocrite. Okay. Look at Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. Listen to what Eliphaz says to Job. He says, starting at, well, I'll start at verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, you will become weary. But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Hey, friends. Let me tell you about what I'm struggling with. Yeah, that's nice, Job. You're a hypocrite. Don't, Job, stop being a hypocrite. You had all of the faith and hope to help other people. You encouraged other people when they were struggling. When other people were suffering, you would tell them, God is good. We should accept good from God and not adversity. <laughs> all right? I mean, not just good from God. We should also accept adversity. But now it's touching you. Oh, oh God. God, why me, Lord? Like, where's all of that hope and faith now? Job, you're a hypocrite. 
you're not that serious about your trust in the Lord. You have empty words when it did not touch you. When you were not the one in pain, it was like, we can just trust God. God is good. Come on, keep the faith. Stay walking with the Lord. Now it is you. And you just keep complaining. I want to die. Why is God doing this to me? Job, if you were such a man of patience and such a man of faith, why don't you hold on to this hope and faith that you were telling everybody else about? That's really not the way to go about comforting people when they're suffering. Now, it is true that Job probably is being a hypocrite in this area, okay? Um, but aren't we all? When we see someone else going through pain or suffering and it does not cost us anything emotionally or mentally, we're not the ones going through it. It's easy for us to encourage one another and strengthen one another and, and say the right words. But when it hurts us, oftentimes we don't realize how hard it is for other people to go through things. Then it hits us and we fall apart. Now, we should not, at the moment of someone's suffering, charge them with hypocrisy. What we need to do in those moments is what Paul says in Galatians. We need to learn how to bear one another's burdens. That is what Job was doing for others. When they were suffering and when they were in pain, Job helped to bear their burdens. And this is what his friends should have been doing for him in his time of need. But instead, they just took the opportunity to call out his hypocrisy. Number three, when someone is suffering, don't blame them for their circumstance. It might be their fault, but don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, you look at all of the things that's happening to me. I'm just... I'm, I'm struggling. I lost my job. I don't know why what happened. Well, if you came to work one time, you wouldn't have lost your job. I mean, that may be true. <laughs> but I just, need you, I just need you to be here and comfort me at the moment, okay? <laughs> okay? Listen to what Eliphaz <laughs> goes on to say. Not only does he charge Job with hypocrisy in verses uh, 1 through 6, he just flat out tells Job, Job, why are you complaining? This is your fault. Verse 7, he says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. Job, why are you complaining? This is your fault. Innocent people don't suffer. Only the unrighteous suffer. So if you are suffering, it is because you have done something wrong. We call this the retribution principle. I wanted to see if y'all were paying attention the last couple of weeks. Okay. So, so they are reiterating to Job what we call this retribution principle. Job, don't complain if you were righteous, if you were doing the right things. If you were not in sin, you would not be suffering. But if you are suffering, it is because you have sinned. Stop complaining. This is your fault. That's just not the way to win friends and influence people. Okay. But again, we have to remember, we'll come back to um, come back to this principle over and over again. We have to remember that this is the wisdom of their day. Right. Um, and we shouldn't look down on them because this is the wisdom of our day. <laughs> right. Uh, we just don't call it a retribution principle. We call it the prosperity gospel. Okay. It, if you pray enough, if you fast enough, if you tithe enough, if you have enough faith, God is going to bless you. Well, I'm sick and God didn't heal me. That's because you didn't have enough faith. Right? So it, it, we, it's the same thing, just a different title. Okay. Um, but again, as we will see, 
because Job on some level adopts this retribution principle, right? He then begins to attack God. His viewpoint of God changes. So number one, we don't want to decrease someone's hope when they're suffering. Number two, we don't want to call out their hypocrisy. Number three, um, we don't want to blame them for their circumstances. It may be their fault, but let's hold off on that till they feel better, right? <laughs> um, number four, when someone is suffering, don't try to convince them that God is against them. Listen again. Turn over to Job chapter 5. Listen to what Bildad says. I'm sorry, what, what Eliphaz uh, says to Job in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age as a sheep of grain ripens in its season, behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. So in other words, Job, God has abandoned you. God is against you. God is trying to correct you. All of these things that is coming upon you, it is your fault. And God is mad. And so he's going to get you. Um, now, uh, this is similar to... As I said before, when we started off with this, uh, we, we, we're, we're constantly thinking that um, God is just waiting in heaven, like with a bug zapper, you know, just waiting for you to do something wrong, like to get you, right? So, so if your car breaks down, right, oh, man, God, God must be angry at me. He must have, I must have did something wrong. Why is my car breaking down? Like, well, Maybe you just didn't put gas in your car. I mean, I don't know. Like it ran out of gas or something. It, maybe it's not God's fault. You just should have went to the gas station and got some gas, right? Or, or, or your car is like 12 years old. I mean, something is going to break. Watch it, watch it, right? <laughs> hey, mine is 13, so I, I got you. My, 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 my got you, and, I, and I'm not buying anything new, okay? I love not having payments. <laughs> but... Things break down over time. Maybe it's just coincidental that at the moment your car broke down, you just happened to do something wrong. Maybe, maybe they don't have anything to do with each other. Right? It's not our job to make these correlations for people. I remember when September 11th happened and... Um, they flew plane into the World Trade Center and also into the Pentagon. And I, so many people was like, see, 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 that's God getting us back. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. You don't know either, though, because we don't have anything authoritative to say. God made plane, planes fly into buildings to punish America. Why do we multiply people's sufferings by trying to tell them exactly what's going on behind the scenes in their lives? That's not our job. Last mistake, and then I'm going to show you the results in Job's life. The last mistake, you could turn to Job chapter 11. And this is something that all of us do all of us including myself and i don't know why we say it i think that we as christians suffer 
uh, from the same disease Peter suffered from? Cussing. <laughs> no. <laughs> when we don't know what to say, we figure the best thing to do is open our mouths and put our foot in it. The, the, the fifth mistake that we often make is when someone is hurting, we just tell them to feel better because it could be worse. Right. I mean, that's just, that's so confident. I'm just, well, it could be worse. That's exactly <laughs> what Zophar tells Job in Job chapter 11. He not only says that it could be worse, he says that it should be worse. God should punish you more. You lucky God let you off this easy. Listen to what he says, verse 1. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure. And I'm clean in your eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Job, you are worse than you think, and God owes you even more punishment so you should probably be quiet and just accept what god did i mean that is just so confident isn't it <laughs> okay so um these are the wrong ways to comfort people i don't know why we do these things we all do it we all make mistakes we all put our foot in our mouths but i promise you this is not to wa- the way to help someone when they're in, p- in pain okay um but we keep making these same mistakes so What I want us to see is next, what is the result? When someone is suffering, when someone is in pain, and we become, as Job calls his friends, worthless physicians or miserable comforters, what is the result? That they're already in pain, and, and what we do is we multiply that pain because now, in addition to the, the um, circumstances that they're going through, in addition to the, the emotional pain that they're going through, um, through, we're adding psychological pain. Right. And um, I don't know about you, but we, 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 we put them in a place where we're tempting them to sin. Because I don't know why Job didn't, didn't just punch his three friends at some point. Right. Especially when he said, that's why your kids died. We're like, ooh. <laughs> Right. Oh, man, they deserved it. They deserved it. Okay. So what is the result? What is the impact on Job uh, of his friends uh, being worthless physicians? The first result is that they destroyed Job's hope and increased his grief and his desire for death. Look at chapter six. We already see that in chapter three, his wife tells him, you should curse God and die. Right. She says at the end of chapter two. And then all of chapter three is Job saying, you know what? That's right. You know, I just want to (laughs) die. Okay. so his friends come on the scene and they they feel that they are comforting him. But listen, Job falls right back into this feeling of wanting to die. They multiply and increase his grief. And they intensify his desire for death. Verse 8, he says, Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, which is what? Death. That he would lose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort, though in anguish I would exalt. He will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Job is listening to them, trying to comfort him. And he says, you know what? You're right. What what hope do I have? 
yeah, this this is hopeless. Why should I even try to live and prolong my life? God, I wish you would just crush me. I wish that you would just kill me right now. Don't let me keep going on. Don't let me keep listening to these fools. <laughs> kill me right now. It's possible when we are not careful with our words, when we're talking to people who are in pain or who are suffering, it's possible to increase their pain because we are not careful in what we say. The second result that we can see in the life of Job is that Job's view of God begins to change. Now, again, remember in chapter one, Job, as soon as uh, he, he hears that his, his children have died and all, he's lost all of his possessions, immediately he goes into worship. In chapter two, when Job gets sick, immediately he tells his wife, you sound like one of the foolish women. Should we not accept good from God and also not accept adversity from him? But now Job's wife's words and his friend's words are starting to wear on him. And in chapter 7, this is what Job says. His views of God begins to change. Listen to what he says, chapter 7, starting at verse 11. He says, therefore... I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you should set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Now listen to this. Now, don't he sound like a little kid in um, growing up in Baltimore City? He said, he says, leave me alone. <laughs> okay, this is my version. He was saying, God, leave me alone. Okay, let me alone for my days are but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set up your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Leave me alone. How many people who work in the school system hear that all day? <laughs> I hear it every day. Kids just be up there playing, leave me alone. I'm like, here they go again. Right. He even goes on to say, you know, will you not look away from me? I remember in, in, in Hoffa Heights, I got into a whole fight with this boy over, I'm, I'm in one side of the cafeteria. He, what you looking at? <laughs> Stop looking at me. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, oh, meet me on the playground at the school. We got into a whole fight. Because for, for some reason, he thought I'm looking at him all the way across the room, right? This is a joke. Stop looking at me. <laughs> this is what his point to God, right? Why are you looking at me? Why are you focusing on my sin? What have I done to you? Right? His view of God is starting to change. He even starts to see God as his adversary. Why have you set me up as a target? You, you're just shooting arrows at me for no reason, God. I've done nothing to you. Why don't you just leave me alone? Job's viewpoint of God is changing. And see, this is why I continue to come back and we go over catechism questions, memorize Bible verses, because your viewpoint of God is going to affect how you treat God, how you see God, and how you live your Christian life. Remember, uh, this is all set in the context of Job accepting this retribution principle. If 
if, if, if a person is righteous, God is pleased, God will bless them. If a person sins, God is mad, God will punish them, right? If this is true, then Job is correct. I've done nothing wrong. I should be blessed, right? And if I'm correct on this part of the equation, but I'm still suffering, then the person on the other side of the equation must be wrong. I know I'm right. God has to be wrong. And we see Job, you know, stepping closer and closer to the line to say God is wrong. God is wrong until he just flat out. God is just God is not righteous. Something's wrong. I'm doing what is right. God is the one that is wrong. And then he gets to and I want to go to court and prove my case. (laughs) And we'll see that next week. (laughs) Okay, we get to chapter 13. I want to go to court and prove my case. Well, we'll see in chapter nine, too. We can hit that chapter first. (laughs) Okay, but. This is why theology and doctrine is so important. If we don't believe that God is 100% righteous, if we don't believe that God is 100% good, if we don't believe that God is 100% holy, when we suffer and when we're in pain, what we're going to tend to do is be like Job and become self-righteous, we justify ourselves. And when we justify ourselves, God has to be the one that's wrong. Now, Job really thought that his option was either he's right and God is wrong, or God is right and he and Job is wrong, right? But that's not, wasn't his only two options. He had a third option. He could completely reject this retribution principle. But he just didn't know that that was an option. Um, Today, uh, we can totally reject this uh, retribution principle called the prosperity gospel. But for some reason, we just don't, (laughs) we just won't reject it. We just keep thinking, whenever I want something from God, I'm going to just put extra money in the offering plate. I'm going to just pray a little bit extra. I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more. And then nothing happens. I, I added extra money in the offering plate. I prayed. I, I even fasted for a whole week. I lost like 20 pounds. I look better in this bikini, though, but, you know, <laughs> right? But I did all of this stuff. I did all of this stuff, and God didn't do anything for me. I did all the right stuff, but God didn't do his part. It's the same principle. Listen, God is free, right? Jesus says that when you do what you are supposed to do as a servant, don't look for congratulations. Say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I only did what I should have done. Now, if God blesses you, that's great. If he doesn't, that's great too. Because God is free to do as he chooses to do. But it's our theology, our doctrine is what is the most important thing. How we view God determines how we interact with God. And so now Job, the one who immediately fell into worship, the one who was able to accept adversity from God, is now saying, God is not righteous. Something's wrong. I want him to leave me alone. He, he, he's targeting me. That's not fair. These two things that Job has faced is the result of people not knowing 
what to say or what to do when someone's hurting. I, I think that the, the greatest thing that we can do when someone is hurting is to do what his three friends did initially, right, at the end of chapter two. They just sat down and shut up. <laughs> For seven whole days, they just sat with Job and said nothing. And he was at peace. <laughs> um, I think that sometimes we don't realize um, how comforting just being present for someone when they're suffering or when they're hurting really is, right? Um, but but truly, um, you know, I can say for what the last 13 years um, of being routinely being with people who are, who are suffering, I'm all kinds of suffering. People who have, who have lost um, lost children, lost loved ones. Um, um, I, I can tell from from times of literally I've. They don't prepare you for things in seminary. They, 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 for example, one of, one of the things people don't prepare you for is um, getting a call at 2 o'clock in the morning and having to go to the hospital, and they say, hey, pastor, um, we lost the baby. You know, can you say something to comfort us? And, and, and you walk in the room, and, and they, they hand you a baby that fits in the palm of your hand. That has happened to me several times. What do you say? Oftentimes, it, the best thing is to say nothing. Just, just cry with them. Just hold them. Just be there. Right? They, for the most part, they aren't going to remember what you say anyway. Your presence with them is what is most comforting. Now, um, if you don't know what to say, just be present. <laughs> just be present with them. Just be, just be quiet. Just be present with them. Um, but... There are things that you can say and can do in order to comfort people. So I don't want to leave this with what not to say. Let me tell you a couple things that you can say, okay? Um, you're not going to get all of this all in one, uh, one day, right? You can write these things down. And, um, uh, of course, if you want some books, I will definitely be free to recommend some to you. <laughs> But how do you comfort someone who is hurting? The first thing you have to recognize is that when someone is hurting, you have to address what is happening externally to them as well as what is happening internally, right? Oftentimes, we think of only the external circumstance, right? We try to, to save them from the situation that they're going through, and we don't realize that the circumstance that they're going through also causes them some form of emotional or psychological mental pain, right? Um, and so we, we target everything to, oh, oh, my goodness, uh, my car was just repossessed. Like, okay, well, let me just give you some money so that we can, you know, get the car uh, fixed, stop the repossession. And we don't realize that, hey, this person is, is dealing with some emotional baggage that goes along with these things, right? So we, we have to figure out how do we, we address what is happening to us as well as what is happening in us. Now, I'm going to give you uh, four words, four words that, um, and I'm really only going to focus on two of them, right, um, of these words. But um, this is... Uh, my seminary professor, he wrote these, these books on uh, what we call um, soul care um, from a biblical perspective, historical theology. He looked through um, different practices that the church has used historically in order to comfort people who are hurting. Um, and these are four words to help you remem remember uh, the four stages of what to do to help someone when they are suffering. Again, I'm only going to focus really on uh, two of these things, and then I'm going to be done um, early. Number one, I got to keep, you know, <laughs> all right, I got to keep it going. We've been getting out early, you know, since we started the book of Job. I don't want to stop the momentum now. <laughs> Number one, sustaining. Number two, healing. Number three, reconciling. And number four, guiding. Sustaining, 
healing, reconciling, and guiding. Okay. Now, these, uh, the first two, the ones that we're going to focus on, sustaining and healing, what we, I want you all to, to realize is that these two steps are actually covering the five stages of grief, right, that, that um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, in her book on death and dying, um, I think the book was probably written in maybe the, like the 60s or whatever, but um, she did research on these steps of grief. And so uh, these two stages mirror the biblical response to grief um, as opposed to the, the, the normal stages of grief, right, that, that, um, that we tend to go through. This is, is a biblical way of walk through these particular stages. Of course, uh, most of us already know the, um, the um, acronym for, for her uh, method is DABDA, D-A-B-D-A, right? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, okay? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And you can probably think through the times that you have gone through suffering and you can see yourself bouncing back and forth through denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? Till eventually you get to acceptance. Okay. So how do we help people walk their way through these stages in a biblical way? All right. um, so <coughs> first, instead of denial, right, um, I went to seminary, my teacher, you know, everybody uses alliteration. So all of these begin with C. <laughs> okay. So instead of being in denial in your circumstances, you want to help someone have candor. Right? You want them to first be honest with themselves. The first thing we tend to do is, is deny our circumstances. Oh, no, it's not really that bad. Oh, it's not, it's not you know, um, no, well, all I got to do is this, and it'll be, it'll be fixed and be better. No, you got to be honest with yourself. Help them first to be honest with themselves, to be honest with the extent of the problem, the extent of their pain, the extent of their circumstance, how it really has affected them. The first thing you got to help people do is just be open and honest with themselves, right? Um, anyone who um, has looked at like AA or anything like that, right? The first step is what? You got to acknowledge you have a problem, right? I if you aren't able to be honest, right, with yourself about the suffering or the pain that you're going through, there's no way for you to get help, right? Number two, instead of anger, right, C word, complaint. Okay. As we said when we looked in Job chapter 3, it's nothing wrong with complaining as long as we complain biblically. <laughs> okay. Um, so remember, um, I, we talked about there's a whole category of psalms um, called lament psalms. And the whole point of a lament psalm is to complain. God, my car just broke down. I'm late to work. And I'm always late to work, so now I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, I might be, in, in be losing my job, but I have hope in you <laughs> that you can fix it, right? Um, so, complaint. Um, I, 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 I told you all, um, get this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, okay? Um, throughout the book, he explains what, what um, biblical lament is. He even teaches you how to complain biblically. And at the end, he gives you step-by-step step how to write your own lament psalm so you can learn how to complain to God with Bible verses. Okay? okay? So, it's nothing wrong with complaining about your circumstance. Notice that Job, throughout the book, he is consistently complaining. Notice he even goes to the point of complaining about God. But when God shows up, He's not upset with Job for complaining. Right? When we teach people how to complain, what we're trying to do, according to my, my, my teacher, is to teach them how to be honest with God. 
You see, a lot of times the reason that we go from denial to anger is because we feel that God has let us down. And so we have all of this anger. We can't say I'm mad at God because we know that's not the Christian thing to do. Right. But it comes out because I'm not coming to church anymore. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not, I'm not talking to God. Now, we don't say those things. We just stop doing the actions, which is proof that we are angry at him. Because, right, when I'm at, because when, when you're mad at your husband, I ain't cooking. Right? You, you stop doing stuff when you get mad, right? And so if you stop doing things that pertain to God, it's because we're really mad at him. But why can't we say that? God, I'm, you know what, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with you right now, God. I, I wanted things to work out this way, but it didn't happen that way. And so I, you had the power to fix it, but you didn't, so I'm upset. God is over 21 years old. I promise you, I have said this to God a lot. God, I'm, I'm just mad right now. I even said, I'm not even reading the Bible. I'm just mad. I'm just going to sit here and watch the news right now. I don't feel like it. <laughs> right? And I promise you from personal experience, I have never been smacked down for saying, God, I'm mad with you. Just make sure you, it's respectful. <laughs> okay? <laughs> be respectful. Be very respectful. I don't want no, no freak lightning storms to happen. Right? But listen, we have to teach people to be honest with themselves. But then we have to teach people how to be honest with God. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, really, I'm mad at God. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at my circumstances. I'm really mad at God because God has the power to fix it, but he did not. So we have to pro- help people process through those feelings when they're suffering and in pain. Sometimes, I mean, the anger is against the person. They have to be able to be honest, say, I'm upset with this person, but help them to be honest with themselves and honest with the other person or with God because that helps them deal with their anger. Um, the third stage in uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, um, model is bargaining or works. And what we tend to do is bring that right over to God too. Okay, God, you know what? You know, if, if you just fix this, God, if you fix this for me, Lord, I will never do that again. Until I forget and go do it again. Okay, right? <laughs> right? Just fix it, Lord. Just if you just fix Lord, if if you just then we like like uh we had to be like <laughs> like Jacob. Oh, if you bless me this way, I'll tithe forever. Okay. Somebody didn't know I was in church. We start trying to figure out how can we bargain with God. God, if you do this, I'll do this. If you work this out, God, I'll do this. If you fix it, God, I'll get on a ministry. (laughs) We, we, We try to bargain with God. We try to figure out what good work can I do to manipulate God, because that's what we're trying to do, to manipulate God into giving me what I want. Instead of that, C word, we need to teach people how to cry. We need to teach people how to cry out to God for help without trying to bargain with God to get him to do what we want. When we're teaching people how to cry out to God for help, what we're teaching people to do is to rely on God if he does not give us what we want. If he never answers another prayer, teach them how to cry out to God for help so that they can rest in him. Anybody see that? Number four. The next stage for Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is depression, right? Um, And with this depression, we don't mean, necessarily mean uh, clinical depression, 
right? It, 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 she literally just means sadness, okay? Um, it can develop into a clinical depression, um, but it can be various stages of sadness, okay? Um, C word, instead of depression, we need people to teach them how to experience comfort. This is communion, connection, and contentment. Communion, connection, and contentment rather than depression and alienation. Now, one of the things we know about people who experience depression is that they have very small circles. They, they have very small circles. They don't have um, a lot of people who are there for them to help them when they go through things, right? Um, and, and because they don't have um, these circles, they feel alienated. And then in turn, they increase their alienation by pushing away the people who do try to help them, right? So what we have to do is teach them how to commune with people, how to fellowship with, with God and others, right? How to build this, co have connection, how to feel contentment. We have to help them to build these things in their lives. Now, after you do all of that, <laughs> then you're in the healing stage. And the healing stage is the stage of acceptance. Okay. Um, so you take them through all of those, those steps. Um, now, let me preface this. Part of the problem, part of the reason that we don't, we, we end up not comforting people when they're going through things is because of our selfishness, right? It takes sacrificing our time, right, and our comfort to walk with someone who is hurting. Oh, it's so much easier to say, girl, don't worry about it. It would be a whole, it could be a whole lot worse. All right, let me go and watch my TV shows. I helped somebody today. It, so so we, we, want, we want them to get over that pain very quickly so that we don't have, they, oh, they're calling me again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I had to listen to this story again. Girl, you know it's your fault. If you would just stop choosing the wrong guy, you wouldn't be in this situation. All right. Now, no, my show is on. <laughs> right, we, we, we try to rush them through the process. Because we don't want to help bear their burdens. The process I'm talking about, my, my, my teacher calls spiritual friendship. Right? I'm, he, he uses the term for sustaining. You're climbing in the casket with them. Because all suffering feels like death. So what do I have to do? I got to climb in the casket with them. Right? I have to have to feel their pain. I have to experience their death with them. And we oftentimes don't want to do that. So after we walk with them through the amount of time that they need, and I'm like, man, we've been we've been working on this for like three months. You should be healed by now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. No, like. You, you, you walk with them through the amount of time that they need. Then we move on to the healing stage. And the healing is the acceptance part, right? We teach them that it's possible to hope, right? So we work on helping them to build faith, hope, love, and rest in God's grace, right? Paul says that the greatest, the things that will last is, uh, well, faith, hope, and love. Of course, love is the greatest of those three, right? But we have to help them renew their faith, hope, and love in God and other people, in their life, in their circumstances. And so we help them through this healing process um, that we call um, acceptance. Okay. Now, uh, real quick, let me tell you what reconciling the garden is. And then I'm done. <laughs> Early. Ah. <laughs> reconciling and guiding. Reconciling 
addresses possible areas of sin in a person's life. Right? Now, I said that when someone is suffering or in pain, you don't go after them saying, you must be in sin. You must be doing something wrong. That is the wrong thing to do in the sustaining and healing stage. Right? But sometimes people are in the circumstances they are in because of their own personal choices. Sometimes it's because of their own sin. You can't just uh, not address it because they're in pain. You just don't address it first. Okay? You sustain them first. You climb in a casket with them. You help them go through healing. You help them to feel strong enough to hope that there is future and they can rest in God, they can trust in God. And after you get them to that point, then you may have to address areas of sin or how they're doing things to cause pain to themselves. Now, the only caveat uh, for this is if there is some known um, issue that probably is like a crime, okay? Um, If you know someone is harming someone else or being abusive or something like that, you don't say, all right, well, let me help you with sustaining and healing. And then we get to the to the you need to stop part right you might need to start with if it's a cr- criminal or they're harming someone you need to stop As a matter of fact let me help you stop uh 911 <laughs> i would like to help someone stop doing something <laughs> oh oh yeah i'm a, i'm gonna visit you so we can get to sustaining and healing <laughs> well we're gonna get to the reconciling first <laughs> okay uh, so but but barring it being something serious right um we start with sustaining and healing. And then we help them to recognize areas of, of sin or problems in their life. And it may not be like Job. It may not be, Job, you sinned, that's why you're in this situation. It may not be a sin that, that got you into the situation. It might be your response to your situation that we need to address. You did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong to get into this situation. Yeah, but every time someone, you know, cuts you off in traffic, you shouldn't use words like that. You know, you can't just get mad at people and just start cussing people out. So let's talk about, let's help you build some better coping mechanisms (laughs) so that when you get into these circumstances, you don't sin. Okay. Okay, so... It's not that we don't address sin and, 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 and faults up front I mean, uh, at all. We just don't address it up front. We move it to the back part of the process, right? And then guiding um, is just discipleship, basically. It's just discipleship. It is helping them to take the gains that they have made through this process and make it a lifelong practice, okay? So um, this is how we do it. Now, this is, this is what the church used to do, okay? This is why the church was so effective historically, but the church has gotten away from it because we don't focus on, on, on our, our common union with one another. We just focus on ourselves, right? If we got back to seeing the the church as the body of Christ, and I see you as just a member of my own body, right? Um, then it's easier for me to walk with you. And I just on church on Sunday, like, oh, okay, great, he gave the benediction. Pew! And I'm out the door, and I won't see none of y'all again until next Sunday. Right. But if if we if we recover this understanding that that I'm, I'm, I am a Christian, but I'm not in just a relationship with Christ. But because I'm in a relationship with Christ, I'm in a relationship with all of you all. Right. That's why we say, oh, sister, so-and-so, brother, so-and-so. We really are brothers and sisters. So we should be ca- in contact with each other every single day of the week. We should have relationships with each other constantly going so that I know what you're going through. And I can spend the time to walk with you through that. 
And I think that if the church recovers um, just this part, right, what we call spiritual friendship, being able to walk with people and encourage people and help people, right? Church, church, uh, church wouldn't struggle with, with, with um, trying to retain people. We wouldn't struggle so much with, with loneliness and depression, right? right? Because we, we, we are here to meet one another's needs, just like in Acts chapter 2. The unsaved people was trying to get into the church <laughs> because they're like, wow, look at all of the stuff that's going on in church. No one does that for selling a possession so that you can meet other people's needs. We got to be a part of that kind of community. That's what the church is designed for. Right. So what I want us to wanted us to see here is the wrong way to comfort uh, one another. And again, all of us have been in this uh, in that place of doing it the wrong way. Um, all of us will, in some sense, continue to do it the wrong way. Right. Because we are imperfect. Um, but what I want us to see is that we need to be mindful when someone is in pain, when someone's hurting, right, we have to choose our words very carefully. Um, and, and, and we need to recognize what stage that person is in so that we can help them where they are. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us an opportunity to look at the life of Job again. Lord, help us uh, to as we look throughout the book of Job to see ourselves. And this week, hopefully we will see ourselves in Job's three friends. Uh, oftentimes, because we don't want to have to bear someone else's pain or suffering, uh, we want to quickly rush them through the, the healing process. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be not uh, worthless positions or or worthless counselors, I pray that you would help us to be good physicians. I pray that you would help us uh, to, to be, be good at the caring of souls. Help us to be able to see someone suffering and, and be willing to make the sacrifices of our time and then be able to pour into that person's life sustaining and healing, reconciling and guiding to walk with them until they're able to stand again on their own two feet, resting and trusting in you. We pray, Lord, that you would just keep working on us. We all fail. We all make mistakes. But I pray, Lord, that that you would help us uh, to get back to being a covenant community the same way in the book of Acts, when they saw people who were suffering, they were even willing to sell their own possessions to make sure that every person had a need. That may not be what uh, we have to do each and every time someone suffers, but, but help us to know what we can contribute to help someone so that when we are in need, people will be more open to serving us in that way as well. We thank you for all these things. We thank you for your word. Uh, sometimes it encourages us, sometimes it convicts us, but in all things, we are blessed. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.